lot of the significant moments in my life have been having mentors who see something in you that you don't quite see in yourself. Yeah. And I think that is so important and pivotal. So for folks to both find those mentors and to listen to them. And then when you're in positions of authority or power to also be those mentors, right? And to be able to pass along that information or knowledge. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, I cannot believe we are almost at the end of May, which means we are wrapping up Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I am thrilled and proud of my own Filipino Hawaiian heritage. Heritage, and I'm celebrating by amplifying the voices of leaders, executives, and influencers, all who just happen to be AAPI, at leadwithyourbrand.com slash AAPI. And we've got an amazing guest today. It is Snehal Desai, the producing artistic director of East West Players. But before we get to Snehal, I want to talk a little bit about taking opportunities, making choices and making some trade-offs during this unique time. I have been talking to so many of my clients and so many people out there in the workforce who are looking at making big career breakthroughs and moves during this time. And we've never quite been in this situation where there are so few workers and so many amazing opportunities out there. So if you are looking to move up and across your organization or even making a big step somewhere else in your industry, it all really starts with making consciously competent choices and decisions. I always say you want to start out by doing career coaching on yourself, and it really starts by asking great questions. Now, the framework that I love to look at is to, one, start out and ask yourself questions about your current state. Then you've got to ask yourself, where are you going and where do you want to go? And then finally, it's about taking action by determining a plan to get there. So let's talk a little bit about a current state and what questions you might ask yourself. I really think it is two sets of questions. One is a little bit about who you are. And then the second one is is where you are. So when I think about who you are, you've got to ask yourself, you know what, what are my key strengths and skills? What are some of my challenges and development needs? What are my passions and interests? What excites me and gets me out of bed in the morning? And for you personally, what are some of those values and priorities that are important to you right here and right now? That includes family. That includes your work-life balance. That includes those things that you want to do that are are outside of work. Then ask yourself, where are you right now? What is your current organizational situation at work and your business and your team? And how is it impacting you? Is it a place to thrive? Is it a place of stress? And what role are you currently playing in your job? And how do you feel about it? Are you feeling great? And this is an opportunity to expand that chair you're in and work with your manager? Or maybe you're not feeling quite fulfilled or you're not feeling quite challenged and it's time 
time to take on a new role at your organization? And how are your relationships? How's your brand being perceived? And what's going on? What's important in your family and personal relationship life? That's all about getting that current state because we've got to start from a place of reality. Then you've got to talk about where you're going and where you want to go. The first set of questions I love to ask there is what's coming, right? Are there major changes that are happening in your personal life? Do you have kids that are getting ready to start school? Are you going to be expanding your family? Are you going to be an empty nester? All of those things impact the future. Then you got to think about what's happening in your industry and your work environment. What is changing? How is the speed of business different? How is technology and the way that consumers use technology to consume your products and services changing? That's all about creating opportunity, and you know that you always want to follow those needs. Then you can ask yourself, hey, where the heck do I want to go? What is it that you want to learn? What are those skills you want to obtain, right? What are some of those long and short-term goals that you have? What are those things that you want to achieve? And what maybe are even the goals of other people in your life, whether it be a spouse or a significant other or your family? And what impact is it going to have on your key stakeholders in your life, right? Like those family members in terms of the goals you have for business. Once you define that, it's all about that plan to get there. You've got to start out by saying, what are the expectations of that role or that set of roles that I'm interested in, right? What level of performance do you have to achieve to be considered, you know, a strong candidate for that? What knowledge, skills, and abilities might you need to obtain? What might you need to demonstrate in an interview in terms of experiences that are going to set you up for success? And Do you have the commitment of other folks in your life to help you get there? Finally, it's all about those next steps. What is it that you are going to do? What is it that you're going to do in the next 30 days, in the next 60 days that are going to help get you there? At the end of the day, we can dream all about our career, but it's really all about action. What are those quick and easy next steps that you can take in bite-sized chunks that are going to help you get to that next career breakthrough? Well, I have a fabulous guest with us today to close out Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It is Snehal Desai, the producing artistic director of East West Players, which is the nation's premier Asian American theater company and one of the longest running theaters of color in the United States. Now, before this time, Snehal was a freelance director working across the U.S. and in the U.K. He is a member of the Asian Pacific American Media Coalition and serves on the boards of the Consortium of Asian American Theaters and Artists and Theater Communications Group and the National Alliance for Musical Theater. Now, Snehal found a home at East West Players because he found it to uniquely stand at the intersection of artistry and social justice. As an artistic leader, he has sought to raise awareness on social issues that affect Angelinos by personalizing them through storytelling. Now, he's a Soros Fellow and was in the inaugural class of the Theater Communication Group's Spark Leadership Program. He was also the inaugural recipient of the Drama League's Classical Directing Fellowship and is on the faculty of USC's Graduate Program in Arts and Leadership, where he teaches executive arts leadership. We'll be back in just a few moments with Snehal Desai, the Producing Artistic Director of East West Players. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. I have a fabulous guest here today. It is Snehal Desai, the producing artistic director of the East West Players. Snehal, what is going on? 
Not much. I mean, I think we're in the middle of Asian American Heritage Month here at EWP. Uh, we're heading into June and Pride. So, you know, things are happening. Yeah, there's lots of exciting stuff. And I know you're super, super swamped with exciting things. Tell our listeners a little bit about East West Players. What should we know? Yeah, East West Players is the largest and oldest Asian American theater company in the country. And we are located in downtown Little Tokyo. Uh, We are celebrating our 56th anniversary. We're 56 years young, as I like to say. Um, And we are kind of the seminal. We were founded by nine Asian American artists for two main reasons. One, to give Asian American artists, particularly actors, the opportunity to play roles uh, that we are not traditionally considered or cast in um, outside of the stereotypical ones and be to have Asian Americans tell Asian American stories. Um, and we have become an incredible platform for um, the Asian American community and particularly, you know, many of the Asian American artists that you know um, on TV and film have come through EWP. That's amazing. And so talk to me, what, what is cool? What should we be looking out for this summer from East West Players? Yeah, well, right now we are in rehearsals for a world premiere new musical, our first world premiere musical in a decade. Um, and it is called Interstate. Um, and it is by Kit Yan and Melissa Lee. And it's a Asian American pop rock poetry musical, um, that follows Dash, a trans- transgender spoken word performer. And it's really a touching story about how two transgender people at different stages of their journey navigate love, family, masculinity, and finding community in this era of social media. Um, and it is, it is just, I mean, again, it's for us to do a world premiere musical is a, it's a very big lift. And so this was, that tells you how uh, stunning this show is. I find it so heartwarming and powerful and, and moving. Um, and I was just having a conversation about, you know, as an artistic director, I'm really looking at uh, putting folks on our stage who we don't see and putting them in the room together and them having a conversation. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if we see two transgender uh, Asian American rockers on stage or have seen that before. Um, so that is coming up. And then um, we have a virtual pro we've continued with a lot of virtual programming, uh, which started during the pandemic. And so in July, August, we have this show called from number to name that anyone anywhere in the country can access. And it is uh, directed and conceived by now the Pulitzer nominated Christina Wong. Mm. Um, and it is in conjunction with API rise. And it tells it's, it's a devised piece by Asian Americans who have been formerly incarcerated or impacted by mass incarceration themselves. Wow. Um, and I think we don't hear about the story, you know, uh, stories about Asian Americans or Asians, particularly um, and Asian Americans who have been incarcerated and what that impact is. Uh, I think there's some stunning stories. We did the show last year um, and we're bringing it back with a new group. And I think that, you know, you learn in prison, A, you, you know, last time we learned how to make kimchi and trash bags. Um, <laughs> but um, in prison, you are either black, white or other. And you're literally, if you are not one or the other, you are called other by the guards. You just are not seen and you're invisible. Um, and oftentimes also, you know, so many other things are tied into um, being in prison in terms of immigration status and background and language barriers. And, you know, Asian America and Asian is just a giant monolith of many cultures and countries. Um, and suddenly in prison, you're kind of thrown together and have to create these fast bonds because those separations you know, don't, aren't acknowledged in our society, uh, you know, what it is to be Chinese versus Japanese versus to be South Asian um, is something that we all forget that, you know, it's a lot of cultures that the monolith of the monolithic title of Asian America um, kind of covers. Yeah. Wow. Um, I can't wait to, I can't wait to watch now. Snehal, tell me as a producing artistic director, when you first meet people, how do you explain what it is that you do? Um, yeah, you know, I, 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 first of all, I want to just say how much I love your podcast and thank you for doing this. And it's, it's something that, um, you know, leading to the conversation today, I was thinking about my brand and it's something that, uh, as an artistic leader, particularly when I moved into this position, a lot of, um, coaches and folks I talked about talked exactly about that, right? Leading with your values and how do you, how do you lead with your values so that you have them, but others can articulate what those are after they meet you a few times. Um, and what I can tell you where I find alignment with both my values and the 
values of East West players is that what I focus on is empowerment through storytelling that I believe through story, there are different ways to impact change. And I used to be in college. I was a poli sci major. I thought I would go into government or public service. Um, And I realized, you know, there are multiple ways to impact change. One is through policy, right? You can create and write policies that could impact um, tens of thousands, if not millions of people, or you could tell a story and put a face and a name to a cause. And I was both my, both my skill set and my interest more aligned with that way of impacting change through storytelling, but also, you know, empowering both the artist and the storyteller as well as the community. That's what is important to me. Uh, and I think we do that at East West Players. Yeah. And so talk to me. You said in college, you thought you were going to go into government and, and those type of things. How did you evolve into becoming a storyteller? What was that path or journey for you? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, as I went into college, I um, also wanted to be the good Asian son. I had always had an interest <laughs> in theater and the arts, but I decided, you know, my parents encouraged me to look at other career options, whether it was medicine or law or business. So I thought, you know, I'm going to be a poli sci major. I'm going to go to law school. Um, and then I kept coming back to the artistic side of things. And it took me a long time to embrace the outsider status that I've had in my life. So I, you know, I'm the child of immigrants. I grew up in a very small town in Pennsylvania. I'm queer. I'm South Asian. Um, and I came of age post 9-11. So uh, there were a lot of things that had me be the outsider in the room. And, you know, early in life, I realized that I can be the outsider and be not seen and ignored, or you can utilize that outsider status to actually lead, right? To take charge and to move, to be the one at the head of the group versus the one in the back, if you will. Um, And that was where I also realized that the best artists are the ones who are outsiders because they are able to have that perspective and to watch and to see, and then to take that, um, you know, into, into their storytelling or their art making. And uh, so I just kept coming back to it. And the interesting thing was, like most folks, I don't know if anyone wakes up and is like, I'm going to be an artistic director. I wanted to be an actor at first, <laughs> like so many folks. And along the way, I, I first felt like I wasn't getting the opportunities I wanted. Um, I was running into a lot of air, uh, barriers um, and being an actor of color. And then I also was just not feeling like the world that I was being invited into as an actor were the ones that I was seeing, right? I was still being pigeonholed in a certain way or given specific roles. Um, and, you know, in college, I took a directing class um, led by one of my mentors, Vincent Murphy, Vinnie Murphy. And it was there that I saw that, oh, as a director, or you can also do this as a playwright, I can create the world in my mind or I can create the world that we want, right? That we want Mm. to all be working towards one that is inclusive, one that is um, where a person of color is, is seen in a three dimensional way. Um, And where also you can be seen, you can have conversations that, we have in our lives, like every conversation in my life isn't always centered around race, right? It can be centered about other things, but in terms of what we see on TV and film and stage, oftentimes those are the conversations folks like us um, have all the time. So, uh, so yeah, so I kept going down the dual track of theater as well as poli sci. Um, I even applied to law school when I looked at MFA directing programs. Um, but the big thing was I took a couple years off after college. Um, and there I again was able to create work and I, um, particularly was really moved by some site specific work that I was create. I went to Emory in Atlanta for undergrad. Um, and we did a, my, for my thesis, I did a production of Jose Rivera's Marisol and Marisol. Mm. Is this play about a crumbling New York where the angels are literally rebelling against God and there is this kind of celestial cosmic war and New York City is caught in the middle. And, um, we did that in an abandoned mental hospital in, um, you know, in, in Georgia. And again, that was done after 9-11 and it, you just saw there was a lot of trauma in the world, right? And there was a lot of grief and there wasn't oftentimes, uh, people were finding ways to express that. And I found that they, that, you know, through an experience, they could do that. People were just coming and they were having these, they were finally able to release from everything that they were feeling. Um, so I just, that's where I really experienced what the impact of art could be. Right. Yeah. Um, to, and 
the other thing is we traffic in empathy is what I like to say, right? What we do through art is we're able, we allow you to see the world through someone else's shoes. And I hope mm. that that can be a transformative experience to allow us to all be more open in our worldviews. Um, so I did that. And then, you know, I was lucky to go to grad school. And that was when kind of the next leg of my journey began as an artist. That's awesome. So talk to me. You said that early in your childhood, you had that sort of epiphany around you can be an outsider and not be seen, or you can be an outsider and leverage that to make change. Tell me about that moment or one of those situations where you really realized that you could kind of own that outsider status. Yeah, I, I think... um you know, it actually, it, a lot of the, those revelations came later, right? It was, it was challenging up front. I, I think the interesting thing is there was a lot of wanting to, to belong, right? And to try yeah. to find ways to belong. So I think that impacted my coming out journey to be something that, that happened a little bit later. Um, I, but I, I just saw that, you know, uh, early on, I was like, you can either be the butt of the jokes or you can be the one who is kind of, helming change, as I mentioned. Um, and I just saw that because, you know, a lot of us were bullied early on in our lives in middle school yeah. um, and in high school, um, you know, being small, being Asian, being queer. And one of the interesting things is I remember when I was bullied in elementary and middle school, being one of the only people of color in general, uh, you know, it wasn't like just that I was Asian or South Asian. It was just like I was it. They, I, I saw that they didn't know how to attack me, right? So that every day there was be, um, I remember this kid in school would, on the bus would come in with a different, like, kind of racial slur because he didn't know what would hit. And I don't want to yeah. say the slurs, but it would be anything from the N word to, um, to a word as similar to gook or, you know, something like that or to be, you know, something that would be more, um, Islamophobic or Arabic, you know, and like every day I would go home and to my parents and be like, I was just called this. What does this mean? And they're like, that's not <laughs> us. But I just saw that, you know, A, I, I got to experience what that vitriol was, but B, I just didn't want to, I, I just felt like, okay, I could just sit back and take this or I can figure out a different way. You know what I mean? To be a different person in this conversation. Um, and, you know, I think my parents did instill me in, instill it early in me. If you don't like something the way it is, then how are you going to change that? Right. It keeps coming back to this empowerment thing that, um, uh, that I, I want to instill in the next level of artists and leaders is that when we, we do, and oftentimes I think these days we feel very powerless, right? So mm -hmm. how can you flip the script? How can you change that narrative in some way, right? And it may not be big and national news. It might just be a small thing, but at least if it feels you leaving better in the position you're at, um, mm -hmm. I'm all about that. Yeah. Now, Snehal, tell me a little bit about, you know, a big career breakthrough for you. Uh, I know that you've been with East West Players for many years, but maybe how did you break through to this artistic director role? Yeah, I think, you know, um, a lot of the significant moments in my life have been having mentors who see something in you that you don't quite see in yourself. Yeah. And I think that is so important and pivotal. So for folks to both find those mentors and to listen to them. And then when you're in positions of authority or power to also be those mentors, right. And to be able to pass along that information or knowledge. I think, you know, I, we oftentimes also have personal traumas or personal things in our life that lead to kind of big shifts. And, yeah. you know, to me, there was a point where I had been in after grad school, I'd been in New York. Well, there were two things. Um, one, while I was in grad school, I was very frustrated again with kind of studying the white Western canon, right? Mm. I felt like, you know, we were studying Chek Chekhov and Ibsen and Shakespeare and all these stories. And I just was not feeling connected. And I felt like, oh, that makes me a bad artist or I'm not a good theater maker. But it just didn't reflect my world and my experience. And I was encouraged that if you don't find what you want to go ahead and create it and to become a writer. And so I started to write these monologues that eventually became a solo show that I toured um, the country with that really then kind of kickstarted my career post-grad school. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I had never seen myself as a performer in that way. I had never seen myself yeah. as a writer. Um, but I found by, by doing that, I also just became a better collaborator, right? I became a better director because I was now in the shoes of the folks that I was working with. Um, and so I really, really valued that. 
um, and that agency of knowing that if I'm not finding what I want, I can just pick up a pen and do that, right? You can do that. And folks are there to listen and to help support you. Um, but I think after a few years in New York, I realized that I wasn't, I was really struggling as an artist in New York because I didn't know who the community was I was trying to reach or to have a dialogue mm. with my work. I was really enjoying when I was going out of town to create work. But in New York, it's this really rarefied theater-going community, right? And so yeah. people go to the shows five, six, seven times a week. And a lot of it is sitting back and saying, impress me, right? And these are folks <laughs> with a lot of expendable income, a lot of, you know. But it wasn't folks who, uh, or it was that, or it was kind of tourists. But it wasn't, I didn't find oh, this is this community in, say, Queens or in some, you know, that it uh, that I'm having a regular dialogue with my work and I'm bringing them into this space, um, you know, to to have a conversation or a dialogue of some ways. And that's when I, um, you know, started to take opportunities outside. And while I was actually out in San Diego doing a fellowship at the Old Globe, I came up to L.A. to visit some friends for a conference. Uh, and I was introduced to my predecessor, Tim Dang, who was the artistic director at East West. The um, amazing Tim Dang. The right. amazing Tim Dang, right? And Tim was, again, another seminal mentor in my life. And I saw the community that was here at East West. Um, I, where the, you know, East West is also the only Asian American theater with its own dedicated space, um, un, which is an unfortunate thing, right? I think it's something, it's really wonderful, but it's really also speaks to kind of the invisibility of Asian American artists nationally. Yeah. Um, and the lack of support. And so, but what I saw was community. What I saw was a community of artists um, that oftentimes, you know, went and did other things, but kept coming back to EWP to hone their craft, um, but also because that's where they felt most alive or engaged. And then I saw a community that had been cultivated over time and where we had a dialogue with the work that we were producing. Um, mm. And I just took a big leap at a certain point and I, um, you know, had quit my day job. I had been tutoring and doing a bunch of stuff in New York and I kind of just took a leap. I, you know, had offered, I applied for a fellowship that provided three months of funding and I said, I'm going to move to LA and move here for three months and we'll see what happens. Um, and now I'm coming up on 10 years. Wow. And, and and talk to me, what was kind of going through your head? What made you decide to actually make that leap where you were like, screw it, I'm quitting my day job, I'm packing up, and if it doesn't work out, I, I'm cool? What, what what helped you make that leap? You know, it was, it was kind of seeing, again, that um, – it was the frustration, right? It was like kind of, I felt like I was having the same cycle of conversations with friends. I was like, I felt like friends, I could tell I was bringing them down because I felt <laughs> it was so, and I just wasn't, you know, I was finding that I wasn't happy with the work I was creating. And I was very stressed about other things, about reviews, about this, about that versus like, what am I creating? Who am I creating it for? What is it? How is it feeding me? Um, and it was just a loss of place. Right. Um, and yeah. so it was a number of those things. And then I saw some, you know, friends going through some hard times and realizing like, you know, I don't have to be in this situation if I don't want to, right. That you you can, and that a lot of the other, you know, good advice I've had is at every juncture, you know, whether you're an artist or not, at some point you have to kind of take a leap and let the universe yeah. catch you. Um, and, you know, sometimes that landing is there is a nice net and you're good. Sometimes you hit the rock wall along the way <laughs> as you make your way down. It's not always smooth. But, um, you know, for me, I find every five to seven years I am at that place where I, I, I look at my life and I assess, okay, if I'm not where I want to be at this point, what do I need to, how am I going to shake it up to, to make sure in another five to seven years I am where I want to be? Mm, I love that. So let's talk a little bit about your brand. Give me three words that you would use to describe your brand as an artist and a storyteller. Yeah, um, I think um, inclusivity, right, is inclusivity, transparency, and then I would put in artistry and humor come in, you know, as kind of what I hope are my brand. Um, or what folks will recognize as being a part of who I am and everything that I, the lens through which I make a lot of my decisions and visit things. 
Yeah. So I love that inclusivity, transparency, artistry, and, and humor. You've talked a lot about the inclusivity piece, but talk to me about what the transparency element looks like. How do you show up as someone that's transparent or what does that mean to you? Yeah. And I think perspective might be a better word than humor, but I try to keep things in perspective. Mm. Um, you know, and I think transparency is something that particularly I have tried to incorporate into my leadership style, uh, especially in the last three years, right? Particularly as we've gone through so much change. Um, and it is a, it is a kind of a forthrightness. So I think a lot of times we don't talk about, you know, one of the things that is taboo, I would say in the arts world, in the Asian American world is conversations about money, right? Talking about yeah. money, right? And I think talking about money in class are two things that oftentimes are buried in, in conversations, um, yeah. because they get covered by race or other issues. And so oftentimes now I've tried to be as a, about those types of situations, um, you know, uh, sharing things like sharing budgets with artists, which for so long was supposed to be taboo, or I've been told it's taboo. And I question why, you know what I mean? Because it, if yeah. we're all in this together, it's, and it, it, it empowers them because they understand a, what they're coming into and what the situation is, but then they also have a grasp on what we're working with. Um, but it's also transparency as to you know, why something is the way it is. I tried to not just say just because, or maybe that's the way we've done it, but an explanation of this is why we think this is the best decision or why we think this is the way it should be. Um, so as much as possible, you know, transparency and process is something that I have been trying to incorporate into my leadership style. And it, you know, it doesn't always happen, I think, or there's, there's limits to that, right? As to yeah. how yeah, it's a little bit of a, a, a volume dial. Talk to me a little bit about perspective. And I like that you said, you know, that's maybe a better word than humor. Talk to me about how perspective shows up as part of your brand as a, as a artistic director and producer. Yeah, I, I think we can get hyper siloed in our world. I think we can get super, you know, deadlines and other outside pressures can help us, can, lead to us losing focus, losing perspective on the larger issues and the larger stakes that are there. Um, but also, you know, uh, what we're doing is we're trying to create change through storytelling. It's not brain surgery, you know what I mean, in the operating room <laughs> at the moment, right? And so I know we can feel those pressures and create them. Um, and a lot of it has to do with visibility or respect or how, you know, and stuff like that. But the, it's keeping perspective about what we're doing. And I think that feeds the art and the energy of the art making you're doing also, because if it's a tense experience and it's a tense energy, that is also what the audience is going to experience. And I think we all have enough of that in our lives right now. We have enough <laughs> stress and we have, um, and you know, for me, the, the, we live in a world that's increasingly numb, right? We're overwhelmed by choice and we're increasingly yeah. n becoming numb to each other. And so I think if we can create work or a room or a space that helps folks lower those barriers and feel a little less numb in their life, then we've done our job. Mm. And now talk to me about how this has evolved for you, because it sounds like you're, you're talking about really trying to be more transparent, right? Have you always felt that sort of inclusivity, transparency, perspective, artistry, are those things that have been kind of with you for a long time? Or are some of those things that you've really added or honed or learned that you needed to have part of your brand? Um, I think some of them uh, have always been there and I have not articulate like inclusivity, right? You know, yeah. um, and that's where I, I really feel at home and we, we've been pushing for at East West is conversations around intersectionality because I want to create a space where I can bring my full self in, which is my South Asian yeah. queer child of immigrant space, not just because we don't, all, we all check off more than one box, but we don't all yeah. just live within those boxes, right? Um, and I think that has been very key for me. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that can happen is uh, early on, uh, I was told, I got to this sense through a lot of the, art, the, the artistic community, particularly the theater community, that um, work that has a social justice value, right, that is advocating for some sort of change is often viewed down or didactic or less than, say, art, right, it's the artistic stuff. 
Um, but, uh, it, to me, those aren't mutually exclusive things that are all art making can have all of that. And to me, it is important to have a dialogue about who the audience is and what is the conversation we want to have or we want them to be having after the experience. Other people look down upon that. Particularly, I would say training programs often have a very inward navel gazing lens, right? Uh, a yeah. lot of time in grad school was about, uh, well, what can we do to basically make the audience suffer for as long as possible? I'm going to create a seven, th- seven hour experience with no bathroom <laughs> breaks where you're standing. Great. If that's who you want, you know what I mean? But I'm not looking to create that experience necessarily, or I'm not looking to do that unless there's something underlying, you know what I mean, in the experience. Um, and, and everyone has different thoughts on all of that. But to me, that was really, really important is that they're not, that the work we're creating isn't any less at East West players in terms of artistic quality, merit, or craft, um, just because it also is coming through a lens of equity and inclusion. Yeah. And it strikes me, Snehal, that that's kind of like, like your brand position, right? It's kind of like what separates you is that whole kind of intersection of the inclusivity and the artistry piece. In fact, I even know, like looking at your bio, it even says that like East West Blairs was a place that you, you felt you could uniquely stand at the intersection of artistry and social justice. So it's interesting how that even is how you project yourself, right? Uh, as a leader in the community and, and at EWP. So I know you talked a lot about mentors. Give me a, a story or tell me about a time where maybe one of your mentors helped you kind of see that maybe the way you were showing up wasn't really helping you get to where you are and and how you maybe massaged or, or changed some of your behaviors or elements of your brand. That's a great question. And you know where I, I feel like um, what comes to more mine more is um, finding your right peer group for me was Mm. really important because my peer group oftentimes then was the group that would be there in the conversations and afterwards say, well, actually, you know, this is how you could have handled this or, or did you think about (laughs) this in this, you know, um, in the moment Um, I, I feel like the mentors I've, what I have loved about the mentors I've had, whether it's Tim or Vinny, um, uh, the, the director, Robert O'Hara, someone who has also been a really great mentor is they, they, they uplift and tell you to just keep going, right. That they, yeah. they, especially after you've stumbled and you've clearly like, you know, uh, Robert has seen some of the work that I've done that hasn't always been great, but he's asked thoughtful questions and encouraged me to just keep going. And, you know, art making is also a muscle and a craft. And some of what, what is really challenging for artists of color is we don't necessarily have opportunities to, to fail. Right. And Mm. I think that's what I've been trying to, to, to also change is that we invest in careers, not in one-off transactional opportunities with artists. I think we saw that during the pandemic as well, is that our institutions are, say they're built around artists, but are they really, right? Like, do they really support an artist um, with a salary for a year or health benefits or to give them opportunities after they've done that show that didn't do so well? Um, Mm. Because it takes a while to hone your craft and not everything is gonna be a Pulitzer nominated piece, right? Not everything is gonna land, but you're working your way through it. Um, and so those things have been really, really opportun- important to me. And I think particularly when I have had, um, you know, hard, you know, things that have not always worked, that they just tell me to find that next piece, right? To get back up and yeah. to, to find the next thing that I want to do. And um, that, you know, that has kept me going, but that has allowed me also to now be at a place where I am really happy with the way I am working as an artist and the shows that we're doing and that particularly I'm directing at East West. Yeah. So tell me about one of those, one of those shows or one of those projects that, that didn't land or, or maybe was a bomb, but then you, you, you were able to learn something. Uh, tell me about one of those situations. Yeah. While I was in school, I was handed a play about a, uh, Indian family. So an Indian immigrant family that was written by a white playwright, um, who, uh, was, she was dating an Indian at the time. So she felt that dating gave her the proximity to tell an Indian family story. (laughs) And, uh, I don't know if that was the case. And I think I, took the, I, I, you know, now have learned about agency in ways that you sometimes don't know that I should have probably just said no, but I was in school. I felt like I had to do this. 
And I directed this play that I didn't believe in, that I didn't feel like was an accurate representation of my community. Um, not only was the play written by a white woman about an Indian family, there also were no South Asian actors at the drama school at the time. So I was given a white male, a black female, and a biracial male to be my Indian family. Um, mm. And, you know, again, it's a cre it's an academic exercise, <laughs> but it was not right. And something was not right in my gut. And I fought against it, but ultimately nothing changed. I was told this is what I had to do. And I didn't find... I, I didn't find a different way to have that argument to put perspective because I think what we also see is there isn't, um, you know, different communities of color have different experiences and obviously different um, trajectories in this country of how they've been marginalized. But oftentimes yeah. what will happen is I don't think that would have, I would have been, that would have been the same case had say that white playwright wrote, written a, a play about a black family I don't think they would have given me a white male to be a black father, right? Yeah. They would have said, no, yeah. that doesn't work. But there was, but somehow they felt like it was okay because it was an Asian family, right? Or an yeah. Indian family. And we didn't have that at the school. And so I think I have awakened, been awakened to how to have these conversations and put this in a larger perspective that you wouldn't do this in this situation. So it's not right in this situation. Um, yeah. Right. And particularly for the Asian American community, it's it's being an ally and standing in solidarity with other communities of color, but also saying we should be treated the same way. Right. Mm. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's for the API community. It's for the native indigenous community. It's for the Hispanic community. I think these things happen, um, you know, quite frequently in that we something that may not be, you know, that we just aren't um, often viewed in the same paradigm. Um, in terms of equity. So, uh, you know, I directed the play and all of the pushback and all the negative feedback was pushed at me because I was the South Asian member, right, by both the community and the non-community. Yeah. And I think that's what really awoken me to what are the projects that I take as an artist? What do I, how do I couch these arguments and push back when I am in these situations? And what do I want to do so I'm never in that place again? And where are the people who are, what are the places in the communities that are creating work? Uh, so I'm not in that. So I ended up creating a South Asian theater collective while I was at Yale afterwards, where we told South Asian stories with South Asian actors. Um, I was able to show the school that there are, you know, other South Asian actors in the, in the larger <laughs> community. Um, You're not uh, the only one. I'm not the only one. And they may not be in the drama school, but they're in the med school or the school of forestry or in the college. Um, and if we're going to tell this story, then we should, you know, tell it with folks from that community. Um, so that was one of the seminal experiences out of that um, for me that I still keep with, right? That I, I, I've learned from um, and, and I, that's led a lot of the conversations I've had since then about projects. Yeah. Talk to me about one or two of the projects that you're most proud of having worked on at East West Players. Yeah. I mean, we just came out a... Um, we just did Assassins, Stephen Sondheim's Assassins. Yeah. Um, and that was a show that got shut down because of the pandemic. And it was a weird, you know, it was not the show I thought we would come back with from the pandemic, but I'm very proud we did because it hits a number of things, right? It, it, it you know, the show is about, uh, folks, presidential assassins. And initially we had programmed it in 2021 in the, or, uh, 2020 in the midst of the election um, as a kind of escape fantasy thing. But now to revisit it in 2022 post January 6th, right? We, you look at all these assassins and they're all white, right? And there, there's this incredible sense of privilege, right? That they're talking, they're coming from, right? They're asking about their prize. And I think for us to do it in this way, kind of like a Hamilton where we refracted it through the lens of people of color, you saw something different. I think the play also yeah. opens up a uh, conversation around guns, right? And accessibility to guns in this society and how intertwined it is with this idea of the American dream, the American cowboy, mm. the American West. Um, and, and who do those dreams serve or what are they for? Right. These idealized notions. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm really, really proud of, of that show and what we did. But I'm really proud even when we do a production like Mamma Mia, which we did a few years ago, because, yeah. you know, that is we took a tale about Americans abroad and we were able to just expand it and say, when you think about, you know, when I go abroad until I open my mouth, it's true. The first thing that people think don't think American, right? That I am American. But one yeah. night, once I open my mouth, they recognize me as an American and I'm seen a different way and I have a different experience, right? Mm. Um, than if I open my mouth and I was, uh, say, you know, Indian and I had an Indian accent or something like that. Um, and I just see that I love going to London and going to work there because again, as soon as I open my mouth, I'm viewed through it. Uh, I'm viewed as an American versus a South Asian and it's a different lens that they treat me through, right? Yeah. Um, so, but it's just, it's just that again, we're able to show that we're able to change this image when people think of the American family, right? I think that yeah. is really, really what's important to me. Yeah. Well, just a couple of quick and fun, uh, questions to close us out. Uh, Snehal, we were talking about, uh, about your brand. What is your favorite brand as a consumer? What are you obsessed with or what can't you live without? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I mean, what I can't live without is coffee in any way. <laughs> um, but let me think about that in terms of brands. I, I keep coming back to these folks who, uh, you know, I, I hate to say someone like Oprah, but like an Oprah or a Tyler Perry, folks who have created a brand identity off of themselves and the work yeah. that they champion um, is really, really important to me. I think someone like Mindy Kaling is doing that now in a really interesting yeah. way. Shonda Rhimes, actually Shonda Rhimes would be the, the one of those folks right now. Um, and, and how they're leading with their values very clearly um, is really Ava DuVernay, I think with her production yeah. company is doing really, really great work. Um, and I really love that, you know, how they're able to incorporate their, their gifts as an artist and then storytelling to larger missions and brands. Yeah. And I love that they've created this artistic brand that we specifically want to see something that comes from Ava or, or Shonda, right? I mean, they yep. become almost these like eventized. We like, we've got to sample it, right? Because, yep. because we, we are believers in those values and, and, and visions, right? Yep. Um, talk to me, Snehal. If you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Oh my God. Um, I am, well, I'm a Prius C, I think. I am. <laughs> and small. tell me why. Um, I small, <laughs> but I pack a punch and I give good, <laughs> so bad. I give good mileage, I guess. <laughs> the hybrid. Um, uh, but, um, yes, you're very car obsessed. I didn't know that about you, Jason. Ah, only about Jeeps. <laughs> only, only about, about Jeeps. Jeeps. Uh, and, and finally, Snehal, tell me, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Yeah, the best career advice has been, you know, someone once said to me, take that pain and turn it into purpose. And I think mm. that is something that I've always held on to artistically. Um, but I also pass along in those really hard moments of our lives, right? And it's easier said than done, but mm. turn those hard moments into learning moments and into purpose is the key. Um, you know, and it's, as you said, the successes have not furthered me as an artist. It's been the moments of failure or challenge that have helped push me along in my career. Um, and then there's two quotes that I always, uh, hold on to. One is a, one is by Jack Hanna, the animal guy of all people, but I love it. <laughs> um, is, uh, you have to touch the heart to teach the mind, right? Like Ooh. that is the way, you know, folks, it, it, there's another quote about, you know, folks may not remember what you said in the moment, but they will remember how you made them feel. I think mm. that is something that is people remember how you make them feel. And I think, you know, you are so valued and cherished. And I think you, I, I'm sure everyone you reach out to about these says yes, because you make people feel good <laughs> in their lives. Um, and that energy is infectious. But I think that is the way to have a dialogue, particularly in this polarized country that we live in. Um, and then I love Octavia Butler, right? And her, she always says there's nothing new under the sun, but there are other suns. Right. Mm. There are other worlds out there. There are other universes out there for us, um, even if it feels like there's, you know, everything has been done before. Um, and those are kind of two things that I just keep with me every day. 
Yeah. Well, Snehal Desai, thank you so much for being inclusive and transparent and artist and bringing us some great perspective. Tell us, where can we find out more about East West Players? Yeah, you can find out at eastwestplayers.org, as well as on our Instagram and Facebook page, East West Players uh, or EWP Players. Awesome. Well, it was great reconnecting with you and chatting and uh, great luck with the productions coming out this summer. Thank you. Great to connect with you. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Wow, what an amazing conversation with Snehal Desai, the producing artistic director of the East West Players. I just loved his whole final thought about from pain, finding purpose. It's so valuable for us to think about that we really learn from those really tough moments and, and oftentimes those failures. Those are the things that help propel us both as human beings as well as in our career. I also loved that Snehal talked a little bit around when you feel it in your gut that you're just really off brand, right? When he was working on that show and he knew that it just didn't feel right, but maybe at the time he didn't have the words to express that. That's all about that notion of you figuring out that brand filter that allows you to have those table stakes that you say are the non-negotiables on the way that you produce your own projects at work and And then being able to build on top of that in a way that makes something uniquely you. So think about for yourself, what are some of those table stakes, those non-negotiables that you must have in order to have an on-brand project? And then what are some of those stair-step elements of repeatable, actionable things that you can put onto any assignment that makes it uniquely you? Well, that is our show for today, and it is our final show for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, make sure to check out our Lead With Your Brand AAPI voices at leadwithyourbrand.com slash AAPI. There you'll find our entire collection of amazing business leaders, executives, and influencers, all who just happen to be of Asian American Pacific Islander descent. Now, check me out on social media, especially at LinkedIn. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms. And check us out next week when we kick off LGBTQ plus Pride Month. Most importantly, remember in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you're that super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.